Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this episode of Threat Talk. I'm your host, Bob Hansman, and today's Threat Talk is going to focus on security dwell time. Now, 40 years ago, malware typically was just a single file intended to destroy or disrupt things so that some unpopular nerd could go ahead and brag about how smart they were. Now, then the profiteers began using malware for more smash and grab attacks to steal massive amounts of valuable data like credit cards. And But it was all just get in, do your thing, and be done. But malware then evolved to use what we refer to as the low and slow tactics so that they could remain hidden and be persistent. I mean, that's where actually this advanced persistent threat concept came from, is these attacks are designed and the term dwell time is used to describe the amount of time that they can remain active on your network. To help us dig into this, we have invited Gary Cox, who has held a number of technical leadership positions within Infoblox over the years and working with organizations throughout Europe on security detection, investigation, and response issues. So thank you for joining us today, Gary. Hi, Bob. Thank you for having me. Now, I wanted to start by clarifying what we mean by dwell time, and I kind of gave a, a general definition. Do you have like a more precise definition for what is dwell time? Yeah, so I mean, a, a general concept for, for dwell time is it's the how long it takes us to detect something, so how long it's been hanging around on the network, combined with how long it takes us to remediate, so how long it takes us to fix the problem. So if we if we add those two time frames together, that typically gives us our, our, our dwell time for that particular incident. Yeah, I think that's an important thing to clarify because there's a lot of reports out there um, about dwell time, but all they talk about is the hidden time. And once it's detected, then it's not dwelling. It's, I don't know, it's doing something else. But I, I like that more complete definition, which is what most security companies now consider. Um, but the term is a little confused. But I mean, and it's dwell time. We, we talk about it being on the network. Um, and I like that because it's no longer about it being on a device because it's going to get in via a device and then it might actually move to another device. And that first device that was infected, a lot of malware even cleans up behind itself. So it removes any, any indicators that it was there at one point. Um, and so that, you know, that makes it pretty complicated, particularly when we're now talking devices like IOT and, and even now operational technologies, right? Absolutely. Um, it's, it's an ever, ever evolving, ever changing landscape. Um, you know, the actors don't rest on their laurels, right? It, what worked for them a year ago, two years ago, might still work with some organizations, but not with all, right? Because we all adapt and adjust. You know, we're constantly fine tuning the controls that we're deploying in our, in our networks and the technologies and those stacks and, and how we, you know, how we respond. Um, it's a game of cat and mouse. And I guess it always has been. And for the foreseeable, it, it kind of always will be really. Well, and, and it's because, again, you know, uh, as I mentioned earlier in my, in my introduction, we have those smash and grab early attacks just came in and did their damage um, on whatever machine they ended up on. They, they didn't do any movement around the network or anything. Whereas today's attacks part of that dwell time is, uh, I mean, the reason they dwell is not just to sit there and collect credit cards over, you know, months or even years. Um, I remember the first time I, I ran into this term was because of uh, uh, the United States, um, the FBI had captured somebody or caught somebody who was doing cyber attacks. But this is in the early days and the FBI didn't have its own real pool of experts. 
So they offered this person a deal. Hey, you won't do prison time, but you're going to work for us and help us. And they used him as a consultant. And one of the things that they did was they went to a bank that had suffered a breach. They brought in their consultant and the consultant, while he was checking out the machines, actually installed his own stuff that later on they discovered it um, after over two years where it was just stealing credit cards, you know, just a few credit card numbers every couple of hours. I mean, it was so small, um, but it was enough that this guy was making a little extra money on the side and nobody seemed to know. And um, but, you know, on that one, he installed the malware, but most most criminals don't have physical access to your system. So they end up, uh, you know, getting in through like uh, a receptionist, low, a uh, low security, low criticality kind of, of system, not even a mission critical system. And then slowly moving through the network or like uh, target through HVAC systems, which goes to that OT kind of stuff. So they'll get in through the OT to get to the network. Some goes to the network to get to the OT. They move around all over the place and they're doing this all under the radar. So dwell time, a lot of that is just the guy, bad guys moving around your network. Yeah. And I think, Bob, if, if you look at the landscape we all operate in nowadays, you know, we, we've got roaming workforces, you know, we're coming in and out of our offices. We've got BYOD devices. They're not always a lockdown corporate corporate device. They're coming on and off the network. Um, there's, you know, many, many ways into, into the network. I think, um, in some ways, it's it's actually sensible to operate as if you've already been breached. You know, if you have the mindset there's already something in my network, that's a good mindset to to be in because at least then you're in a a state of prepared readiness, if you will. And and so you and I were talking, uh, you know, as we were fleshing out the the, the topic for today about you know, how do they stay under that radar. And you pointed out that, you know, um, like in Target, where they breached it going through the HVAC system, um, they learned later that, oh, yeah, now that we know we've been breached, we go back and we look through and, oh, we can see all the indicators that that were in our system, but they were just lost in the noise. I mean, it, it, they're not just low and slow because they're not showing up. They're low and slow because they can hide in in all the other stuff that's going on, right? Absolutely. I mean, it's the number of customers that I talk to who are, you know, they've got really, really good security analysts, SecOps people, but they are drowning underneath the volume of alerts and events that they've got coming from across their entire stack of security controls. And, right. you know, if you've got a team and let's be uh, let's be optimistic and say I've got a team of five people, right? How many alerts can that team of five people get through in a in a day? Right? Maybe they take five each. Maybe they take ten each. You know, that's twenty-five alerts, fifty alerts. What happens if I'm getting ten thousand alerts a day? Right. So if that's the Monday, by the time I reach the Friday, and heaven forbids the following Monday, I'm drowning, and that's just one week. There's fifty-two yeah. of those in a year. Uh, it's you can start to see how it becomes very very easy for the signal that we're looking for to be hidden in that noise. Yeah, I think the SANS group did a SANS Institute did a, a survey about a year ago, uh, maybe maybe only about seven or eight months ago, but it was um, on a number of SOC best practices. And when they asked them about um, investigation time, you know, you talked about people getting through 10 a day. They said that um, their typical investigations 
uh, over half of the respondents said their typical investigations took over four hours. That means that they only do two a day. Um, yep. So it sounds like a lot of the work's not so much the investigation, but the early triage, making sure that, you know, do these events pop up in the triage stage, right? Yeah, and I would I would fully believe that that study from Sands where I was just being lazy for the sake of easy math. Um, but um, yeah, it, it's 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 a, it's a problem. It's a problem. Uh, I'm only the, the the biggest companies out there that have got a fully fully teamed, you know, with twenty, thirty or more people inside their security operations um, are kind of on top of this, and and even they probably aren't fully on top of this because the bigger the organization, the more events, the more alerts, <laughs> the more security controls. So, you know, I think this is a problem that is prevalent across the industry. And, you know, candidly, this is where all of us vendors need to step up and, and just help help with that particular problem. Because if you don't find that one event hidden, that needle in the haystack, you're just part of the problem. It, it, yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter if you find stuff, but if, if the people can't easily you know, see that alert and react to it and have a way of triaging it, and, and you know, honestly, Bob, this is where we move this conversation a little bit because it's not all about the security controls that we've we've got. It's about having good hygiene inside our organisation. Have we have? And I'm I'm British, so I'm going to use this expression, but have we mapped out our crown jewels? Right. So how do we know who the, the most important assets are or what the most important assets are inside of our network? So that if there is an event, those events might tie to one of those critical assets. Well, that's going to move it right up the top of my my list of things that I need to jump on. Um, so there's definitely some hygiene that, that companies can, can do to, to do that, that exercise, that internal exercise of, what keeps the lights on? What keeps the, the, the money coming in? Um, what keeps the customer website active for our business? It's very specific to that company's business. Well, and I'm, I'm glad you brought up the device thing. We've had a couple episodes uh, where we've talked about a lot of uh, security is around tracking user and user activity and what user was visiting what websites and things like that. But um, that network data um, of, you know, login user also needs to be device information. You know, we, we talked about IOT and OT. Um, uh, so, you know, particularly companies in manufacturing, uh, energy and so forth, you know, they'll, they'll have you know, actually pretty much every network has more devices than they have users mm -hmm. and associating events with devices that don't have a user is a big blind spot for a lot of organizations. A lot of that network data, trying to remember which episode it was, but it wasn't too long ago that we were talking about just the network. Uh, the network collects all sorts of information. And of course, Infoblox is really big on DNS and DHCP and IPAM. Um, but there's so much information at the network level that helps them do a lot of automatic triage, um, being able to automatically collect in one place so that when I'm looking at those events, um, one of the big problems for the for even triage is, oh, but I now need to go look at this information. I need to pull in these logs. I need to check those logs and you pull it all together and oh, I need to, to wait for the SIM to massage it. Now I need to put in my query and, and get my, my view. That's not right. Let me tweak it. If I could have a lot of that automated, which is, you know, tend, people tend to think of automation as, as uh, an automated response that it's going to see the event and automatically, you know, 
block the event of, and issue a warrant for the arrest of the person who did it. You know, whatever people have some pretty crazy ideas of what it, what it can do, but automation can have big wins. If you just gather that kind of information automatically to help people one place, I open it up. There's my event. There's my information. I can triage it pretty quickly. Absolutely, Bob. I mean, I, I you know, if I search the old memory banks back in a, in a previous life for me, when I was a, a firewall administrator, if we saw uh, an event alert come up on the firewall and we needed to find out what that device was, it was a case of, you know, going to the network infrastructure, you know, looking at those um, ARP tables to try and find the MAC address, and that would give us an IP to a MAC conversion. But, you know, it it's not good enough because these devices are transient. I mean, we're talking about dwell time here. We're talking about stuff that's lingering on the network for a period of time. An IP address is, unless it's a static IP address, if it's a device that's coming on and off of the network or it's IoT and it's grabbing it via DHCP, there is no guarantee that that's the same IP address on the Tuesday that it was on the Monday, right? So you do need to find that way of tying it all together and having, having a history, uh, you know, if you will, a bundle of data, um, both from the, you know, the DDI land and from your security controls, to, to tie together. Otherwise, yeah, it, it's a, it's a long task. It's a long task to try and build that, that forensic journey of what was the device? What's it doing? What else is it talked to? It's yeah. Yeah. I was uh, talking to somebody in oil and gas earlier today, and they were talking about how in the field, when they have a sensor or a control and it's, 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 it's not working, it's broken somehow. Um, they don't try and troubleshoot it. They pull it out and pop in a new one, and then they'll take it back and troubleshoot it later. Um, and sometimes it will, because of the way they have things configured uh, with static IPs, it'll have the same IP address, but it's actually a different device. Um, and then there's other scenarios where, uh, you know, banks with ATMs and stuff like that, uh, when they have to replace those devices, um, they may not even replace the device. They may just go out, fix it, and restart it, and it gets a new IP address. So same device, different IP address. You have different devices with the same there's so many ways that stuff can get convoluted so having a good uh, i'm glad you pointed that out because having something like an ipam that can track that historical information so that again and this is very important in dwell time i'm not i'm not dwelling on that point <laughs> pun intended just because you know that's what infoblox's business is um the fact is is that's what makes it so hard to often determine how long has this thing been on our network because if it has infected a certain segment of devices that, um, you know, either the devices have had changes to them, but they still appear the same with the same IP address and stuff, or the addresses have been, you know, the same address has actually moved to different equipment. I can't track that IP address. I, it, it was once used by this user's laptop, and then it was used by this BYOD device. You've got to have all that stuff straight in order to investigate dwell time, because part of that, once you've done your triage and you found it, You've got to know if you're going to get rid of it. Like, and again, you, you defined it really well. It's not just, hey, we now know we've been breached, end of dwell time. No, it's until you get rid of it. And that means finding everything that has been involved with that attack, even before you detected it. Um, there may be small pieces of that attack on a machine that it didn't even trigger because it doesn't have the same malware that you're noticing now. It actually had a different piece of malware that it only used to compromise another machine. It was a tool 
that was used for lateral movement. But if you're looking for the same indicators, those indicators aren't going to help you find the other pieces of malware because on your network and advanced persistent threat, by that time, you may have a dozen different types of malware there, each one specialized and you know specialty purpose for a different task. Only one of those pieces of malware lit up. So when it comes to, to really rooting out one of these things and totally eliminating it, um, it gets messy fast. Oh, it, it, it absolutely, absolutely does. And I mean, you've got to be looking for stuff. And I think, you know, obviously a lot of the time people focus on the user devices. So their laptops or their mobile devices. But, you know, we, you've touched on our IoT and OT already in, in this session. But I mean, there's also shadow IT. So there's a, I think I remember from was it 2017, end of 2017, there was a story in the news about the, the fish tank in, in Las Vegas, right? Which was a, there was a thermometer in the water, which just happened to be, you know, wirelessly connected so that people could monitor the water temperature, keep the fish alive, completely logical, right? I understand <laughs> the, the use case, but that's a bit of kit that's on the IT network, which I am going to go out on a limb and say was not sanctioned by the IT department. <laughs> I mean, I've not met an IT department yet that specializes in buying uh, fish tank thermometers. Um, but, you know, again, you've got to know where you're looking. So, I mean, if a MAC address and an IP address pops up and you, you start searching for the manufacturer of that to try and figure out what it is, there's no user tied to that device. How do you find it, right? I mean, I'm, the last place I'm going to go look is put my scuba gear on and go look in the fish tank. It's <laughs> yeah, and I, I doubt that that made it to the spreadsheets. When people are using spreadsheets to track these IP addresses and stuff like that, um, yeah, you've got third-party vendors coming in, and that's an important part. I mean, that's an extreme example, but how many devices are on your network today that, um, you know, they're not part of your IT? And that includes things like BYOD devices. Um, I actually have an iPad right now that is in repair because it constantly pops up as a hotspot, even though I've turned off that feature. So if I am on the network, my iPad is a hotspot that allows anybody to connect to it, even though, again, I had password protection. That didn't, I mean, this iPad was really messed up. Um, but somebody could have used that as a bridge, which is exactly how they use that aquarium. They use that thermometer as just a bridge to get through. It's a so, mainstream, right? Yeah. So um, when it comes to detecting these things, um, one of the things, again, that came up in our early conversations was command and control servers. Um, that even though the malware they might be placed throughout, there tends to be a, you know, maybe one or a, a limited number of command and control servers that tend to oversee the whole thing. So one of the, one of the methods I've seen people use is, okay, we found an infected device. We see it because of certain activity. There are certain indicators. Let's see how many more devices we can find with those same indicators. And they find some stuff. But then they go back and they look at the time when those you know, they try to track back, how long has it been infected? Well, that thing's only been infected for like two weeks. Then they go look at all the activity back at that two week period. And they start noticing a lot of anonymous, uh, anomalous activity to the web. How many other devices had that? They find other devices in, instead of just the ones that were infected that were also communicating to those same suspicious websites. Oh, so that's where it started. Well, no, you go back and check those. Go back to when they became infected and oh well 
So that's how they became infected from something internal. And they start tracing this stuff around. You remember those old spy movies where they, they'd say, you know, the guy would call in and says, quick, trace this call. And, it, you know, he went to, you know, he's in Sydney, he's in Monaco, he's in, you know, and it just bounces around the world until they find where it really came from. That's what it looks like today. When you start investigating dwell time, you will, or even any modern attack, that's what you're going to find. That's the lateral movement as they moved around your network until they found not just the thing. We tend to, again, oversimplify it in security. We'll say they're just looking for where you keep your credit cards. No, they're moving around to find out what you've got where. And once they've mapped out your whole network, they say, okay, so that one's got credit card information. This one's got employee data. This one, oh, hey, guess what? This is a hospital. They got medical data over here. Let's get that. And then they use different pieces of malware at the same time. So Dwell time, again, I think you did, a, you called it out perfect. It's not just until we find, oh, guess what? Looks like we've been breached. It's getting rid of it, which can also be days and weeks and months. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. I mean, it, it's, yeah, it's on your network until you've got rid of it. Facts. <laughs> yeah. What are your customers kind of reporting about how long it takes to clean up something? What do you see, uh, you know, when you're talking to people out there? You know, you, you don't get a lot of facts and figures around that. Uh, pe people are pre pretty guarded for the most part around, you know, A, a what happened and B, what they had to do to get rid of it. Um, and of course, it depends on what the it is. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if, it, if it's ransomware, then how quick it is to recover very much depends on your strategy from with regards to archiving and backing up those devices. Um, Hopefully, uh, you know, I, I genuinely mean this. I, I would hope that most companies aren't paying the ransoms and ending up on on payers list. But the the sad fact is, some organisations do need to just so they can get their you know systems fingers crossed, get their systems back up and running in the shortest possible time. But again, then it comes down to the rest of your um, cyber and IT hygiene. So, how often are you doing backups? Are you doing them often enough? If you were um, compromised with a ransomware attack and your files were, were encrypted or otherwise locked? How quickly could you go back to a state of readiness? How much data are you prepared to lose? What does that mean to your business? You know, so yeah, I, I, I'm, it's, there is no simple answer to your question, Bob. <laughs> there isn't. I well, there never it. is. It's 10 minutes and we're done, but no. <laughs> well, and you know, I mentioned IOCs earlier, and you and I had been talking a lot about behavioral analytics uh, offline here. Mm -hmm. Which of those do you think are finding the most value? Because everybody's investing in AI. Oh, hey, this product got to be good. It's got AI, which 99% of the time, it's just machine learning rebranded. So, um, but, you know, how much of the, the detection of not just the, hey, we've been in breach, but detecting all the different components so that we can actually get totally clean. How much of that's from just straightforward IOT, uh, IOCs? How much of it's behavioral? Uh, is behavioral helping any? Is this AI stuff helping? Well, I, I think it does, right? I mean, it, it, it gives us a, another um, another tool in the toolbox. Let me word it that way. I was going to say another arrow in the quiver, but whichever analogy you want to use. Um, I think, you know, the, we should always look at um, reputation, signature, and behavior. Um, and different different products, different controls can cover the, the different layers there, right? So from a from a, a purely feeds perspective, reputation is super important. 
Whoever's providing your threat intel, are they curating that data? Are they getting rid of some of that noise before the feeds reach your infrastructure? Uh, and that's so important, right? Rubbish in, rubbish out. So um, if you're getting a curated feed, then of course, reputation data is fantastic. If I get a hit on that, I can trust it, I can act on it. But then we get into the, the conversation about things like zero days. So what happens if something isn't on the list yet, right? I'm patient, I'm patient zero, no one else has been impacted. The, the clever folks at all the different security companies haven't yet seen this and built up any reputation on that. Well, what do I do then? And, and that's where uh, there's a few different techniques, but behavioral can be one of those because instead of looking for a very, very specific domain or a very, very specific IP address, now I can start to look at that pattern of behavior based on the data that's flowing across or out of my organization. Um, I would also, I mean, you know, hey, Infobox DNS geeks, right? So I apologize for any listeners here who aren't, aren't, uh, aren't DNS geeks, but I would also put newly registered and newly observed domains into that category of being able to be proactive about things that are chattering out in your network to entities out there on the internet, which again, don't have any reputation yet, but probably you don't want to be talking to. Uh, you know, I always say to, to my customers, what business does any one of your users or devices have going to a website which is either A, just been registered in the last three days, or B, has only started passing traffic in the last three days. Uh, you know, that's, there's, it's very rare that there would be a legitimate business purpose for that, that to go on. So again, you can start to look at that as a form of uh, very lightweight zero-day pr protection. And then, of course, we get into signature land, right? And, and then we're, we're into things like um, packet inspection and antivirus, XDR clients, and, and so on. Um, and, and again, that's all good. But our customers, our partners, our friends out there, our friends listening to this podcast need to be aware of all three of those to have, have a truly robust solution. And again, I'm a, I'm a realist, right? Defense in depth. You don't just take a, an intelligence feed from one vendor. You get it from two or from three vendors. Typically, very little overlap between the different providers and the different feeds because they're pulling it from different sources and they're curating it and looking at it with a different lens through their specialty. Um, so yeah, defense in depth where possible is, is the way to go. Not sure if that answered Bob, or if I danced around it a little bit, but hopefully I answered it. That's okay. You danced beautifully. Um, <laughs> but you know, I, I'm glad you brought up the different feeds because um, as I mentioned earlier, there are certain indicators that will pop up and help you find out that, hey, this we've been breached. I can see some indicators that we've been breached. There's other indicators that are designed and feeds that are designed to help when, oh, this is going to block a URL that is known to host malware and going to deliver it. So you've got things that are uh, a lot of feeds that are designed to prevent the the initial infection, you have a lot of things detect, uh, to detect an actual breach in action, like they're starting to steal my data, they're starting to encrypt my system, whatever. But there are also feeds that different users and different organizations will find use in that they're not good for either of those, but they are good at helping you find all those little systems in the middle. Um, some of these will be feeds that are specialized for like IPS devices and things like that. So there's certain device specific feeds in the end, 
you need the right blend of feeds. Um, and on the behavioral side, I wanted to, to point out, there's actually an article that just came up um, today on the Hacker News. Uh, actually, no, it was yesterday on the Hacker News. No, they put today's date on it, but I saw it yesterday. I know it. Um, and they were talking about uh, IBM had been doing some uh, investigation into TrickBot malware and how um, they, they are upgrading the anchor DNS backdoor that they put in. That's a DNS tunnel that they put in. But again, the only way they detected this brand new twist on the old attack was that um, they were monitoring for abnormal activity on the DNS channel. They saw a new type of tunnel. They know what good tunneling looks like. They know how they use tunneling, what devices should be tunneling, what devices shouldn't. And they started catching it from devices that should never be tunneling anyhow, mm -hmm. all of a sudden using a lot of bandwidth on DNS, which is a big gap. A lot of people don't look at that. So the, the anomalous behavior um, in the right mix of feeds, I think, is a good way to end this. Any final comments for anybody on uh, how to detect and eradicate to get dwell time down? I think I'll reiterate my previous statement. De defense in depth is is key um, first and first and foremost. So um, make sure that whoever's providing your intelligence that it is curated, so that you can trust the data. Uh, make sure you're detecting via a variety of means. We talked about behavioral here, and we've we've seen crypto mining also using uh, you know DNS as a as a method for you know transporting, communicating out to the to the to the service. Um, but I mean, yeah, it's. It's trying to find that needle in a haystack. And I think to, to reiterate a point that was that was made earlier, you've got your events, your logs, your alerts, and that's fine. And you're probably drowning under, under those. It's finding that way of really zeroing in, taking the 10,000 a day that you're receiving and filtering them down to the 20 a day that, that you can get to. And the only way you can do that is by really looking at, you know, is the provider telling you, we, we gave you this hit because it, it's this risk profile, it's this confidence level, scoring it effectively. That helps you to triage. Then mapping out those critical assets, the critical infrastructure, that helps you to triage. So if you tie those two things together, you start to at least get closer to the holy grail of reducing that, that dwell time. Well, fantastic. And thank you for, for this. Now, as usual, we've run out of time. Um, you and I may need to talk offline about doing a part two because there's a number of things we skipped over quite, rather quickly there. But Gary, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. And I want to thank all of our viewers and listeners for your time as well. Join us next time as we continue our efforts to help you stay on top of cybersecurity and ahead of cyber risks on Threat Talk. <laughs>